Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word that never changes, to hear your truth that never changes. I pray that from our finite broken lips and finite broken minds to our finite broken minds, I pray that you convey your unbroken truth. Fill us with your spirit. Open our hearts even as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, really, really fancy pants uh, academics will use a term that, um, if you think about it, is technically somewhat familiar, but we don't normally think about it. It's a classical, classical Greek word, ascasis, and it makes its way into English in words like asceticism or the ascetics. And though the word itself technically just means that you're working on something, you're training, you're practicing, asceticism in English is all about denying your physical comforts so that you you can achieve some sort of spiritual place. Um, monks who who wear uh, uncomfortable clothes so that they deny themselves physical pleasure. That's asceticism. But to the classical Greeks who used the term, it, it was more of a pedagogical term. It was just a really, really intense term about learning. It was this active, conscious process of self-transformation where you consciously define a, a purpose and develop a worldview that is transcending what your natural existing frame of reference was. Because you worked on escasis, because you trained yourself in this way, you become something new. In fact, it wasn't just in academia. Back in classical Greece, uh, it was something that soldiers would use talking about going through basic training. You go in a neophyte, you go in some raw kid trying to figure things out, and you come out this hardened soldier with a different perspective. You work to get past yourself to remind yourself that it's never just been about yourself. Escasis. To a modern mindset, increasingly, hold escasis here, to a modern mindset increasingly as, say, Marxism grows in our understanding of things, especially in academia or in the mouths of public pundits, there's this idea of wanting power. Everything's about power. Who has been empowered? Who's been disempowered? How are the powerful disempowering the powerless? Who should be given power? From whom should power be taken? It's all about power. And even those that say, no, that's ridiculous. Oh my goodness, those people are in power and telling everybody everything. We need to get in power so that we can tell people that everybody that thinks it's about power can be shouted down and we can tell all the power will... We buy into it. To the hammer, everything looks like a nail. We think about power all the time. Nietzsche talked about how powerful people exert power over others. John Dunn Scott has said, actually, the most powerful are not the people that have power over others. Because any big guy can make a little guy do something that he wouldn't ordinarily want to do, right? Anybody with a big stick can make somebody who doesn't have a big stick do what they wouldn't ordinarily want to do. But if you want to talk about real power, real strength, it's the person that has power over themselves. It's the person that doesn't require somebody else with a big stick. It's the person who can sit there and go, I want to do other than what I've always wanted to do. That's real power. 
That's real strength. But it only comes from eschesis. It only comes from saying, wait, there's who I've always been. There's the point of view I've always had. And I don't think I want to be that person anymore. I don't care whether you're talking about losing weight and changing your perspective on your diet or you're talking about being a coming a Christian and being a new, new creation. It's this idea of going, wait, there's what I've always been. And there's who I know I need to be. And it's not because Steve tells me that's what I need to do. It's not because Ross is pushing me to change. It's because I am choosing to do this and I'm praying for God to give me the strength to accomplish it. I want you to think about power and escasis as we go into Ephesians today. I know it was a heady way to begin, but you'll figure it out as we go. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Let's pick up where we left off last week. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I have to stop. For this reason. Yeah, what's the therefore, therefore? What's, for what reason? So I've got to back up. Technically, it's the same this reason that he was talking about in verse 1. So he goes, okay, chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, which means I've got to back up a smidge a bit more, right? I've got to figure out what he's doing. Paul had just argued in Ephesians 2 that Jesus had come and preached peace to you Gentiles who are far away and peace to those of us Jews who are near. The same message to both groups. The same message of peace to both groups. There's not a gospel of peace and shalom to one group and a gospel of peace and shalom to a different group. It's not a different gospel. It's all just the same. We're listening to the same truth from the same mouth. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We don't get salvation by different means. It's not like, well, these people can do it by what they do, these people by what they believe, these people by who their parents were. Nope. Salvation is from one name and no other name, by one spirit and no other spirit, by one faith and no other faith. So he says, chapter 3, verse 4, in reading this, this letter then, you're going to be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which, which Mark was talking about earlier, this mystery, this hidden thing. You go, ooh, juicy. What is this hidden thing that there's, we've had no indications of? Now I'm going to learn this great mystery he says, yes, this mystery is that through the gospel, through the, the good news that Jesus died on the cross and washed us clean, and he died for everyone and rose again to buy us back from our sins. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. That's the mystery. You know. Actually, there were a lot of Old Testament verses about that. Yeah, I know. It's not a particularly mysterious mystery. As mysteries go, all the clues have been sitting there for centuries. You're looking for a mystery? Yeah. The butler did it. No! Yeah. You saw him in the first scene. Seriously? Have you not been watching the movie? That's the mystery. Jesus bought us all back with no distinctions between the groups. Israel's always been a city and a hill to draw everybody to the Lord. That's the whole point of all of this. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence, just like the writer of Hebrews said. There's no fear in approaching God. If you're in Christ, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. I mean, if faith really is life-changing, and if we really can face God, well, with freedom and confidence... 
What is there in life to be stressful about? Except for <laughs> relational stuff. And isn't that what the whole letter's about? Of, hey, you're all one group. Why are you fighting? I don't have to fear anything vertical. And I shouldn't be fearing anything horizontal. For this reason, he says in verse 14, that's the context. For this reason, I kneel before the Father with freedom and confidence, right? I'm just go straight to God. Because why on earth would I ever be scared? This is my dad. This is my God who bled out so that I could have freedom and confidence to come into his presence. If you're a Christian, you're like, I'm terrified to be in the presence of God. Pray about that. (laughs) Because he wants you there. I'm kneeling on my knees about this, and I ask you, therefore, I'm I'm there, and I'm I'm saying, God, help. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that the, the heavenly father of our heavenly family, I pray that from... No, 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 let me just read this whole thing. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. All of us derive our name. Because, like me, you're not, my last name isn't technically right. Your last name isn't technically Mers. Your last name isn't technically Weathine or Wenzel or Deemer. It's Christian. We all have the same last name. We all have the same family name. That's the family we're supposed to be reflecting, right? That's the family we're supposed to be living out. You are so much more than just the sum total of growing up named Wright or growing up named Mers or growing up named... So much more than that. So he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches that our Heavenly Father may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And this is why I went into that little discussion at the very beginning. When we hear that, I pray that he, he imbue you with power, he invests you with power. I pray that you have power. Our tendency will be to think a different kind of power than Paul's going for here. We have a tendency to think of this, of this power over others, this power to affect outcomes, this power to work wonders like Moses worked, this power to accomplish, this power to influence and change the world, this power to empower the powerless and disempower the powerful. Think of superpowers like a Marvel movie. Think of Jedi powers like a Star Wars movie. We think power. When we think power, we think we're going to change all that external stuff. Right? Most of the time when you think power, isn't it the power to change all that external stuff? Stop the bad guys. Lift the car over your head. Is that what Paul is praying for? I pray that out of his glorious riches, the Father may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. For what purpose? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I want Christ to inhabit you fully. I want him to fully indwell you. I'm talking about inner power. I'm talking about a power in your inner life. knowing that you've all been given this amazing gift, this 
phenomenal gift from God. Feeling like it's so amazing that I'm, I'm losing my place in my own argument, Paul says. I, the entirety of chapter 3 is a parenthetical tangent off of the point I was trying to get to. Because this is so cool. The fact that God loves everybody, everybody, so much that he bled out for everybody literally knocks Paul down to his knees to pray for all of us. To pray for the strength for us to seek genuine, genuine escasis with Christ. To, 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 to have the strength to change, to not be the person I was before. To have a different view than what I started off with. Now, if you really want to get technical, here's a quick question. I'm going to read that again, and I want you to listen carefully. Who exactly is living within us as Christians? I pray that out of the glorious riches, the glorious riches, that the Father may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So is that the Holy Spirit, like 1 Corinthians 6.19 says? The Holy Spirit lives in you? Is it the spirit of the Father that lives in you? That's from Romans 8.11. Is it Christ himself who lives in you, like it says in Galatians 2.20? Is it the spirit of Christ, actually Christ's spirit, like Romans 8.9? Which is it? Is it? Is it? Yes! It's yes! It's yes! You notice that I even was snarky and made sure that I'm only quoting from Paul in all of these. He himself keeps writing it different ways. He says, I, I, I don't have to use the word Trinity in the Bible. The Bible talks about it all the time. It's all over the place. He's, Paul says, I want God, every bit of every bit of who God is and what he's doing, I want the fullness of God's fullness to fill you in every possible way. And I'm on my knees praying that you have the strength for your strength, for, for my strength of character and commitment, that you can do the escasis to get past yourself and let God be God in you. Can you let God be God in you? Or I have Jesus in me? Yep. Paul's writing to Christians, so why is he even having to say this? I'm praying that you Christians might have Christ dwelling in you. I, I do. Is he? What do you say? Does he just visit from time to time? Did you build him a special wing of your house that you keep locked away and open up every Sunday morning? Is he dwelling in every part of your life? It doesn't require an ascetic lifestyle where you wear a hair shirt and deny yourself all physical comfort. But it does require getting past you. There's a reason why Paul says it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's about not being self-centered, self-oriented, self-motivated. I pray that out of his glorious riches, the Father may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, which is a mouthful. It's all big one thought. So I say it like that, but it's a big mouthful and it requires that you... Stop and think about it. Because as you, <laughs> as I was talking to Wendy earlier this morning, as you would learn in boot camp, a slow aim is better than a fast miss, right? So I actually want to stop and unpack that just a smidgy bit. I pray that out of the, his glorious riches, 
He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Power not to necessarily change external details, though, sure, do that, but the power to change you, first and foremost. Because Paul prays for power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Because God loves everybody, right? Even sinners, yes? And Christ died for everybody. Isn't that what 1 John 2.2 says? So that redemption is only accessed by faith in Jesus Christ. It's only that name. It's only that name that we can be saved in. Because even though John 3.16 says, oh, great, he died for the whole world. John 3.18 says, it doesn't mean the whole world is saved. Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, you've accessed this through faith, but being rooted and established in love, which is actually where he started this whole thing back in chapter 1. If you remember that, remember that verse, bad versification, where the the end of verse 4 really should be the beginning of verse 5? Exactly. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Even at the very beginning of this, of this book, he started saying, it's all about love. You were even predestined in love. He's always loved you, chosen before the creation of the world, but chosen out of love. Do you realize he uses the word love 23 times in this book? And that's not even including all the times he's like, live at peace with one another, all that kind of stuff. Specifically, love nearly two dozen times in six chapters. I'm going to call that statistically significant, I think. How focused is he in saying, God loves, 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 loves you and has always loved you and will always love you? Is that the way you look at it? Is that the way you look at it? Do you feel saturated by God's love? Do you feel that he will never stop loving you? That it has nothing to do with how lovable you are. Love, love, love. He loves you. He loves loves you. He has always loved you. Since before the creation of the world, he has loved you. Can you approach the throne with freedom and confidence because you say, this is the God that loved me before I was born. This is the God who loved me before the world was born. Is that the way you see your relationship with God? He has always loved you. Careful. If he's always loved you, regardless of anything that you've ever done or everything that you're ever going to do, and will always love you, no matter what you do. The same is true for her. And if it's true for her, it's true for him. If it's true for him, it's true for her. If you say, wow, that's, that's a great paradigm for me to live by, you go, but it has to, has to include everybody around you. There's nobody that you get to say, ah! without dismissing the very truth of Scripture, that God has loved them also. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, all your fellow Christians, all of us who are set apart for God, 
were these ambassadors of the kingdom for all of us with no petty divisions for all of us. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to do what? To grasp. It's a nice physical term, to grab, but it's more than that. It's being used in an intellectual way for you to understand. I pray that you, together with all the saints, may comprehend how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This tactile verb used to speak of an intellectual understanding of this incredibly deep emotional truth. Can he be more holistic in one sentence? Can he? I want every part of every part of you to understand every part of every part of God, specifically his love. You go, I I can't do that. Yes, you can. I pray that you be super saturated with God. I pray that his, his spirit fills you so much that it pushes all the sin out of your life. I pray that it washes it all out. I pray that you ooze God's spirit everywhere. Your spirit is so sanctified and so set apart for the Lord that it looks very similar to God's because you were made in the image of God and I want you to be Christ-like. I want your spirit to mirror God's spirit working in your life and, and, and just splashing off into everybody else around you. I want you to saturate yourself with God's word. Don't just listen to Kevin. He's only talking for half an hour and he's wrong about so many parts of it. I want you to be in God's word and I want it to change you. I want your whole, God's spirit to be in you and I want him to change you. But for that to happen, you have to be committed to eschesis. You have to be committed to going, I didn't, I didn't come to college just to get a degree so I can get a better job. I didn't come to college just so that I can go to a college that teaches everything I've always heard so I can hear more of it and have bigger words for it. Ideally, I went to college so that I could change and I could grow and I could hear all sorts of other perspectives and I could synthesize a new way of looking at the world. I really hope that my Christian life is so much more important to me than my college degree was. I don't want to be a Christian just because I want to hear what I've always heard. I don't want to be a Christian just because I want to be a better version of what I always was. I want to be a Christian and every day be better and better at this and better and better at reflecting God in me. That's what I want to do. I want to grasp to comprehend this more and more, how wide and how long and how high and how deep every part of this. I want this I want this to change me. Paul says, I, I, this is such an exciting concept to me. I literally got myself off topic. That God said, yes, this is what I want for all of you. It made me stop in the middle of the point I was intending to make. And Paul doesn't, you know, just drop a point easily. He's like, no. Spoilers. He does the same thing to Corinth, doesn't he? When he's writing in 1 Corinthians, he gets himself off topic, in the middle of a topic. And that's why you get uh, Corinthians 13. Corinthians 14 comes right after Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 leads right into Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 14. I'm sorry, what was 1 Corinthians 13 about? He keeps getting himself off topic when he thinks about how much God does love. Right. The world is broken and it doesn't understand how to love. But the most terrifying thing is, is it thinks it does. The world thinks it knows all about love. I love the analogy that C.S. Lewis uses. It's, it's, like a, it's like a little kid that was born in a polluted city. And the kid says, yeah, I know what a sunny day looks like. I know what a blue sky looks like. 
that's blue. And somebody else goes, no, that's kind of dingy brown. He goes, no, it's blue. It was brown yesterday. That's blue. Until you finally take that kid to the beach. And he looks up in the sky and he's like, I've never seen this color in my life. I always thought that was blue. This is blue. And he goes back. He tells all his friends, I saw a blue sky. And they all look up and go, yeah. You're the kid that just got back from the beach. Talking to other kids that go, yeah, I know what love means. No, you don't. Oh, so you're better than me. No, I've just seen the beach. I've seen blue. And like you, I, I thought I knew what that meant. I've seen love, and I, I thought I knew what that meant. But it didn't mean it. Even Christians, if we're not careful, can still love the way we used to love. We can love with conditions. We can love up to a point. We can love but hold on to bitterness. We can love but say, well, I'm going to stop loving you if you're going to act like that. We can love... But we have to, we're called to. Paul is even here calling us to an escasis that says you work on getting past the love you always used to think was love and be changed into something different. You can be, you should be, you have to be past what you always were before now. That takes strength. It takes strength of character. It takes strength of commitment. It takes so much more strength than demanding that the person next to you learns how to love. Paul says, I, ur- yeah, I pray, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to comprehend how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses understanding. How many times can he say love in the same sentence? Love, 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 love. I don't want you just to assent to the verity of it. I want you to feel it. I want you to comprehend it. I want you to grasp it. I want you to hold on to this. I want you to know, to know what you absolutely can't naturally know. I'm not asking you just to natural it harder. I want you to know what you can't naturally know, how much your God loves you and has always loved you and will always love you. Why? So that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, filled to overflowing with his love, filled so that you are overflowing with his love, filled so that you overflow his grace, his love, his will, his wisdom to everything and everything. The world doesn't know how to love. You and I are no longer of this world. We're ambassadors of a very different, very deeper, richer world. Children of a very better, very deeper, richer family. We're filled with something that's so much newer and better than what we were before, than what we've always been. We should just exude that. We're not the sum total of all the years and experience and family and genetics that have come before. We are not the sum total of that and that alone. In Christ, we're the sum total of the measure of all the fullness of God. And Paul is praying for that. And he's praying for that more and more. So that if you understand it better today, great, that means you will understand it better tomorrow, which will help you to understand it better the next day. Don't love the way the world loves. Don't forgive the way the world forgives. Don't live the way your family lived. Instead, live like your family was always intended to live. Love like your Father loves you. Forgive as Christ forgave you. 
if I can take a recent author's words and cross-apply them to a Christian context, which is absolutely not what she intended, but I still think that there's some valid thought here. Your new life is going to cost you your old one. It's going to cost you your comfort zone and your sense of direction. But all that you're going to lose is what was built for a person that you no longer are. That's the whole point of escasis, is to sit there and go, that's what I'm looking for. I had one point of view. I had one frame of reference, and, and I want to expand that. And my new point of view, my new frame of reference may include that, or it may not. It may include parts of that, or it may not. But if I get disillusioned with what I knew before, I pray it's because it was an illusion. And that I don't have illusions anymore. I have a clear understanding of God in my life. I need self-discipline. I need to become someone new. To the Christian that's fleeing from the lusts and addictions of the flesh, that's denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following Christ. That's loving those whom others, whom even we, might find difficulty to naturally love or to naturally forgive. It's not so much denying ourselves physical comforts as much as denying ourselves and reminding ourselves that our comfort isn't really what life is about. It's being the people God sculpted us to be. It's remembering what Paul says where he says, it's no longer I who live. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Escasis. I don't want to be the person I was before. I need to work on that. I need, I need to work on that. I need to be able to get past myself. I need to pray for the strength to get past myself. So maybe that is worth praying for. Jesus himself told his disciples in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So by definition, logically, the more that I comprehend how much Christ loves me, the more and the better I can love others. If I don't love others, then maybe I don't understand the height and the width and the depth. and the thing. Maybe I don't get that. But if I do get that, then that has to live out horizontally. It has to overflow. It has to. And any time that it doesn't, we have to be able to stop and go, something is stopping up the drain. And it ain't God. Don't ever want to justify clogging that drain. Not ever. I have to get out of my own way. I have to pray to get out of my own way. I need to let God's Holy Spirit change me, and I need him to strengthen me so that I can change me. So let's pray for that. With freedom and confidence. Paul ends this tangent with a doxology that makes any of this possible for any of us. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within you. You mean the life around me? No, the life in you. To him who's able to do so much more. I don't know if I can do this. I didn't say you could. But to him who could do so much more... That power that's working us to draw us close to and the power to change us, the power to strengthen us, to work on changing ourselves, that power 
to help us to increasingly comprehend His love to a degree that I could never do on my own. To Him be the glory in the church. To Him, in Christ Jesus, through all generations be the glory. Forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank You so much. I thank You for outpourings like like are going on in Asbury right now. I thank you for so many times that you break through our clogged drains. Father, I pray in each one of us, be glorified. Help us to remember that the power that we should be praying for is the power, first and foremost, to change us. And if we want to see something else change, we change us, and then we pray for the power that you would give them to change them. I don't want to coerce change in this world, Lord. I want to infect it with change. So I pray, Lord, give us an infectious love that goes beyond what we could possibly imagine. Help us to comprehend it more and more and more. Help us to live it out more and more and more. Give us that escasis to work to change the paradigm we've always had and the paradigm that you've always had for us. And be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.